My name is Brian Kinsey, and I'm the pastor of First Pentecostal Church in Pensacola. I'm delighted that you're listening to this message, and I hope it blesses your life. If you'd like to submit a prayer request, or if you're interested in a personal Bible study, you can call us at 850-477-1100, or send us an email at firstpent at firstpent.org. We hope you enjoy this message. presence of God this morning in this place. Can we one more time, we're going to do this again, but can we just give God praise together? How wonderful it is to worship the Lord and magnify him together. Hallelujah. Lord, we praise you today. We bless your name, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. What a privilege it is today to have with us, brother and sister Welch, They are no strangers to First Pentecostal Church. Brother Welch, come and deliver that word you have this morning. We love you and appreciate you. God bless you. Praise God, everyone. We greet you in the name of the Lord. We honor your dear pastor and wife, Sister Kenzie. So good to see you on the front and Believing God for continued strength for pastor, and we love them so dearly, and you know exactly how we feel about Kenzie family and all the ministry that are here. Brother Strobel, honor you. God bless you. Thank you for also your work in the ministry, but also the service to our country, all of you who serve and have lost someone who have served our great nation. And... uh, As Abraham Lincoln once said, they gave the last full measure of devotion. And so we thank God for each one. It's an honor to stand here again in this pulpit to address you. And my dear wife is here as well, our son Bentley. And we're going to believe God for a great day in the Lord. How many are glad to be back in the sanctuary having church, worshiping? The one true Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise God. Be looking at Genesis chapter 32 this morning. Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32 and verse number 24. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the break of day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, He touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince thou hast power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it thou hast asked after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved." Father, bless your people, the great host, 
Pensacola, Florida. God, bless this tremendous church family. God, I pray over them. God, loose all the blessings of heaven, God. Increase faith, suppress doubt, save, heal, and deliver your people. In the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone say amen. God bless you. Please be seated. Thank you for standing to honor the word of the Lord this morning. Reading this week from Craig Simon's book, World War II at Sea. At the beginning of World War II, the Germans realized that if Britain could be defeated, it would be because they stopped her shipping ability. The home islands of Great Britain produced only about half of the food necessary to feed its population. From the start, they realized that Britain could be starved into surrender if the U-boats could sink Allied ships faster than they could be replaced by new construction. It did not matter if the ships were inbound, filled with vital war materials from the United States, or outbound, carrying mostly ballast. The key was to sink ships. The submarines, or the U-boats, were considered the most terrifying weapon on the open sea at that time. They implemented a new tactical protocol for the U-boats, one that had, they had been thinking about for a long time. Rather than send the U-boats out one by one to conduct solitary patrols, they planned to coordinate them in operational groups, eventually called wolf packs. A wolf pack could potentially sink 10 to 15 ships, even destroy an entire convoy altogether. In addition to the U-boats, the surface raiders, there was a third danger to British trade from what was called auxiliary cruisers. These were former merchant ships that had been modified to be used as raiders by adding a suite of naval guns and increasing the size of their fuel tanks for extended cruising. The naval guns were hidden behind false bulkheads and what appeared to be crates of deck cargo and they went to sea disguised as innocent neutrals, dropping their disguise at the last moment to open fire on British and Allied ships. They sent out dozens of these type ships in the fall of 1940. And between May and November, they sank or captured more than 80 British and Allied ships, displacing more than a half a million tons, ship for ship, they proved to be more destructive to Allied trade than the U-boats. Steaming it, the first of them went to sea in early spring. It was called the Atlantis, formerly the cargo ship Goldenfells, followed the route used by Admiral Scheer and other surface raiders through the Denmark Strait. He headed straight for the Cape of Good Hope, Steaming at 10 knots to save fuel, the Atlantis underwent several chameleon-like transformations during the journey. Her mast and her stacks could be raised and lowered. The crew used wood framing, canvas, sheeting, and paint to reconfigure her silhouette and her appearance on the sea. 
During her passage through the North Sea, she was the Norwegian freighter Newt Nelson. As she traversed the route above Scotland toward Greenland, she became the Russian naval auxiliary Kim. And as she traversed and came through the South Atlantic, she became the Japanese Kasi Maru. And a few weeks later, in the Indian Ocean, she adopted the configuration and the color scheme of the Dutch freighter Abakirk. These paragraphs leaped out at me when I understood the chameleon-like characteristic of those merchant ships during World War II. I thought the U-boat, the submarine, was the most treacherous, but finding out that there was a worse culprit, there was a much more deceptive enemy, and that was those who pretended to be something and were not. They pretended to be a neutral. They pretended to be a friend. But finally, when they got close to their target, they dropped their disguise and they opened fire at point-blank range and destroyed those ships. And the writer said they became more destructive than the U-boats that were feared among all sailors. It was those merchant ships uh, that were disguised uh, as friends uh, who were the worst enemy they ever faced. The enemy always tries to isolate. They said if we can keep supplies from coming to the British Isles. We can starve them out. I want to talk to you about an enemy that's tried to starve some people out. He's tried to isolate you. He's tried to keep you uh, suppressed. Uh, you haven't seen uh, your church family in a while. Uh, you haven't seen uh, your spiritual leaders in a little while. And, and I want to tell you, the enemy's tried to wreak havoc on the church uh, of the living God uh, by trying to starve you out. But somebody said, my substance comes from the Lord. Uh, I want to tell you, daily he loaded me with provisions. The enemy thought he had me starved out, but I want to tell you, I'm thankful to be in the house of God, but oh, I get my supplies direct from heaven. And like the prophet of old, if the ravens have to come and feed me bread, I'm going to be sustained. God is my refuge and my fortress. The enemy's trying to kill, steal, and to destroy. But oh, I'm preaching to a church. You haven't lost faith. Your faith has been strengthened. I'm preaching to a church. You haven't lost hope, but your hope has been renewed. And now I feel the momentum of the Holy Ghost. We're in the sanctuary of the Most High God. Come on now. It's not empty, but it's filled with people who are committed to their God. We're not going to be defeated, but oh no, victory is here. Come on, this is a celebration of hope. This is a celebration of deliverance. God has seen me through the dark hours, and the sun is rising on the horizon, and the church of God is stronger and more powerful than we've ever been before. 2 Corinthians said, No wonder that Satan himself has disguised himself as an angel of light. The enemy's tactics are thousands of years old. Much like in the time in England, when Shakespeare began to present his dramas, 
They could only afford a certain limited number of actors. And so the actor would leave the stage and he would change costumes only to return as a different character. You know your enemy. He has no new tactic. He just changes costumes once in a while. He's the same old culprit. I thought about the ship that had painted herself over five times on one voyage, renamed herself. It's the same old jalopy with a new paint job. The devil has no new tricks. But he's put a new surface on the old tactics. Kill, steal, and to destroy. Isolation, intimidation, fear tactics. It's just a new paint job, folks. We are not ignorant of his devices, according to the New Testament. I'm preaching this morning. It's time to get a hold of God. It's time to get a hold of God. Genesis 32, I began to read about Jacob wrestling with a man. We know that years before, mentioned in Genesis 27, that Abraham called for his oldest son Esau, but Jacob deceived Abraham and came in and received the blessing at the advice of his mother. Esau hated Jacob for this and for several reasons, according to Genesis 27 and 41. Rebekah finally says to Jacob, you really need to leave the house. She says, why don't you go away for a while? When things cool off and your brother's temper dies out, you can come back home. Just go away for a few days is what she said in verse 44. Jacob went on his journey to the house of Laban, his uncle. He meets his daughters. He works for his two daughters. And it wasn't just a few days, but the Bible says it was over 20 years that he had to avoid the hostile environment at home. Esau hated Jacob, and it was not something that just lasted a day or two, but that hatred only grew over time. Genesis 32, we come into the narrative where Jacob is wrestling with the angel. You know that Jacob meant supplanter. It meant deceiver. And when Jacob began to wrestle with the man that night uh, until the breaking of day, the Bible said it was not just a, a momentary struggle, but this is symbolic of our prayer lives. And the Bible says that Jacob grabbed a hold of this man and began to prevail even. For the Bible says that the man saw that he could not prevail. Therefore, he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh. At first, Jacob had a hold of this man, and he wrestled with him until the break of day. And finally, the man touches the hollow of Jacob's thigh. Later, we find out in Hosea 12 and 4 that the man was actually an angel sent from God. And finally, after he saw that he could not prevail against Jacob with natural strength in a supernatural way, he touches the hollow of Jacob's thigh, and it's now out of joint. And Jacob, who was 
uh, obviously strong and robust and had a hold of this man uh, in this struggle uh, is smitten by this angel in the hollow of his thigh and he buckles uh, under the pressure and the weight of his body. At first he prevails, but once he is smitten in the strength, in the strong part of the core of his body, he buckles, but he does not let go of the man. He's got a hold of something, and he's saying, I'm not going to let go. I know what I need, and I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And the angel says, let go of me, son, for the day breaks. I didn't plan on staying past the daybreak. I've got to go. He says, said, let me go. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go. He said, I know what I got a hold of, and this is good, and this is what I need. There's a determination. There's a tenacity that's coming out in Jacob's character at this moment. And we see it revealed on the pages of the Old Testament. Jacob's got a hold of God. He's had some difficult circumstances in the back in, in the past. His character wasn't what it should be. He was a supplanter. He was the deceiver. But oh, I want to tell you, he's finally gotten to a place in his life. There are circumstances arising in Jacob's life, and he says, I've got to get a hold of God. What you may not remember is that God had spoken to Jacob after 20 years, and he said, I want you to go back home. Jacob said, well, that sounds easy enough, but do you remember Esau? Esau has been planning to kill me for 20 years. Uh, he's imagined every, impos every possible way to kill me. Esau has increased with goods and products and family members and servants, uh, and he would easily be able to overtake me. And Jacob says, God, have you forgotten about Esau? God says, no, I remember him. But I still want you to go home. Jacob begins his journey into the fire. And the night before he is to encounter Esau, the Bible says he has a moment where he wrestles with this man. No doubt Jacob is thinking about tomorrow. I've got a court date. I've got a doctor's appointment scheduled. He said, there's something happening tomorrow, and I know that it's going to be dreadful. And he said, I've got to get a hold of God. And I want to tell you this morning, I'm preaching to somebody who is facing circumstances, and that you know that it will mean sure destruction unless you get a hold of God, and you don't let him go. You have got to get a hold of God this Sunday morning. I want to tell you, we've all got on our, our Sunday best. We're greeting each other with a smile. But this week, it's inevitable. Somebody is facing dire circumstances, and you have got to get a hold of God. It's vitally important that you get a hold of God. This service is not business as usual. This is not another casual day. But this is a moment where you have an opportunity to get a hold of God. I want to tell you, it's up to you. Some of you are... So far back, I, I can't even make out who you are, but God knows who you are. Come on, somebody are in the balcony, but God knows you're here this morning. You're spaced out for social distancing, social distancing, and that's all right. But make sure you don't miss the opportunity to get a hold of God. 
The church is more than just a fellowship group. This is a moment for you to get a hold of God. This is a place for you to get a hold of the Savior. It wasn't just a man. Hosea said it was an angel. Finally, after Jacob wrestles with this being all night, the angel says, you're no longer Jacob. They've got you classified by the wrong name. He said, now you are Israel, a prince with God, for you have prevailed with God and with men. When you come to the house of God, it's to get an identity change. Whether you like it or not, people classify you according to your occupation. They classify you according to your characteristics and your traits. They think of you as honest. They think of you as greedy. They think of you as prayerful. They think of you as calm or hostile or whatever the traits that you possess. They think of you as tall or short or young or old. But I want to tell you, Jacob finally said, I'm to the point in my life I refuse to be classified by how tall I am or how much I weigh or how old I am or for being a carpenter or a doctor or a lawyer. He said, that's fine, but I'm to a place right now and I'm in a circumstance that I've got to get a hold of God lest I perish and I want to tell you when you finally get to that place everything about your identity begins to change come on now I've been a carpenter before I've been a laborer before come on now I've been a professional but oh today I've got to have a new name I've got to have an identity change I've got to get a hold of God I once was a sinner but I've got to be transformed into a saint of God hallelujah if you're planning on going to heaven, you've got to have an identity change. There's got to be an experience in your life where everything changes. Say, well, my family's religious. We've always been religious. I'm all right. I want to tell you, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, and some trust in theologies and dead religions. But I want to tell you, you've got to have an experience with the Almighty God for yourself. It wasn't enough that your parents or your relatives had it. But, oh, God, I've got to have an identity change. Jacob, it's the darkest hour of the night, but you have got to get a hold of God. Come on, somebody, and get a hold of the Lord. Lift up your hands and say, God, I got to touch you today. This is more than casual church. I've got to get a hold of God. I've got to get a hold of God. Finally, Jacob says, it wasn't just a man. It wasn't an angel. But he said, this night I saw God face to face. I appreciate good influences in my life. I'm excited about angelic visitations. But finally, God, let me see you. Open the eyes of my heart. Let me see in the spirit. Praise God. I 
I believe when you pray, you ought to just go on into intercession. I believe when you pray, it ought to be with utterances. It cannot be understood. I believe when you pray, you shouldn't just say, now I lay me down to sleep. But you ought to go on into speaking in other tongues. Because I believe that's when the transformation happens. Come on, this is a New Testament experience. Come on, Acts chapter 2 told us about it. When you really want to be transformed, come on, you're going to pray until something happens. It's not just a bed time prayer. It's not just two minutes and get up, but it's, come on, Jacob finally said, I'm in a spot that I've got to pray all night. I'm in a place that I've got to pray until something happens. I've got to pray until the foundations shake. Oh, I'm preaching to people that know how to pray in Pensacola. Come on, I'm preaching to a church. Come on, with a heritage of prayer, with a heritage of miracles. You know about it. I'm asking you to do it again. I'm asking you to pray this morning. I'm asking you to get a hold of God. We live in desperate times. We need to get a hold of God. Many years ago, in my hometown, a notable man in our community served a naval surface ship, World War II. For four years, he sailed the hostile seas. And you can imagine, during those times, much uncertainty was there. He said, I learned to rely on my comrades. And I learned to rely on my equipment. He said, I was issued a life vest on that ship. And he said, you can imagine that I clung to that life vest every day. It was one particular life vest or one exactly like it that he always had, either on or by his side. For four years, he sailed on that ship, and he took comfort in that safety equipment. But he said, finally, when our ship docked on the coast of California and the war was over, and I walked down the gangplank for the last time, I realized that I had been holding on to that life preserver for four years. He said, in one last moment of symbolic gesture, as I walked down the gangplank, I tossed it over the railing. And I said to my buddy, I'll never wear that again. And he said, when I tossed it overboard, I looked back. And to my amazement, what I had clung to for safety for four years sank to the bottom like a rock. I want to tell you, folks, I meet people all over who hold to things that they think will deliver them. I know people who have diligently stored up, invested in the stock market, only to see it vanish before their very eyes. Savings accounts, retirement funds, gone instantly. But that was my life preserver. And we find out those things will let you down. I know people who have had relationships 
And they built their entire lives on those relationships, even with a spouse. But I want to tell you, in a moment, those relationships can vanish, either by death or betrayal. And I want to tell you, we hold to things that will let us down in the end. I've seen people build their identities on their occupations and their skills only to be incapacitated, not able to function, and realize that was not enough to save me. I'm preaching to a church. I'm preaching to a community. People have thought theologies and creeds would help them only to realize that unless I'm baptized in Jesus' name, unless I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, come on, I will sink in despair. I found out it's only the Holy Ghost that's going to sustain me. When my friends aren't there, it's the Holy Ghost. When my occupation won't give me the identity I need, it's the Holy Ghost. Come on now. I'm preaching. you got to get a hold of God. Stop holding to something that's going to let you down. If you haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost, get a hold of God. There's no better place. There's no better time. This is the hour. This is your moment. Get a hold of God unless you sink in despair. Get a hold of God unless you perish in the depths. See, I thought I had it under control, preacher, but oh, these last two months have showed me again. All, the only thing I really have is my relationship with God. The only thing I really have is my relationship with God. Come on and lift your hands with me right now. Father, I pray over every individual who hears my voice. I rebuke the enemy that tries to deceive and disguise himself as a thousand friendly foes. But God, I pray now in the name of Jesus that people would be wise enough to see the tactics of the enemy. He's trying to isolate this great people. He's trying to keep people from the house of God for two months. He's tried to steal and destroy us. But God, I'm praying right now in the under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, God, that you would lose this people. Come on, there's somebody who's committed right now in the back of the room to get a hold of God. Come on, if you're going to get a hold of God, you may have to do it all by yourself. I might not be able to lay hands on you today, but come on now. Hear the word of God. Get a hold of him right now. Get a hold of God like Jacob did. Don't let him go until you get a new name. Don't let him go until you get a new identity. Come on, somebody. You've been Praying for 20 seconds. Come on and press yourself to a real touch of the Holy Ghost right now. Come on, it's happening. It's happening right now. There should be a voice lifted up in this sanctuary. There should be a voice lifted up in this sanctuary. Come on, mama, and pray. Come on, daddy, and pray with a loud voice right now. All over this sanctuary. Come on, did you come to have a move of God? Come on, that's about half volume. Come on and lift your voice right now. Come on and lift your voice to heaven right now.
Hey, I'm preaching to the patriarchs. I'm preaching to people that know what old-fashioned revival is about. Come on and pray right now. Come on and pray right now. God, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ for an outbreak of the Holy Ghost in this sanctuary. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody that came determined to get a hold of God. Come on right now. You got a hold of the angel, but don't let him go right now. Come on now. You're seeing God face to face, but don't let him go. There's something breaking. There's something shaking right now. In the name of Jesus, God, let your prophetic word, God, be performed in this house. God, you've told us before. God, we received it. God, we refuse to let our word die right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, Jacob, and get a hold of God. Come on, Jacob, and get a hold of God. If these were the only five minutes you had to get a hold of God, I wonder what would happen. If these five minutes were all that really mattered, I wonder how we would pray. Come on now. God sent an evangelist to speak to your heart. Come on and get a hold of him. Nothing else really matters unless you get a hold of God. Nothing else really matters unless you get a hold of God. If you're with your spouse or your family, if it's appropriate, lay your hand on them. Begin to pray over them right now. Come on now. We're not going to get in your space, but I want some families to begin to pray together right now. Say, we got to get a hold of God. Come on. The hour is late. The day is far spent. I'm going to get a hold of God right now. We're going to break this virus. We're going to break this curse. We're going to break this economic hardship. Come on. We're going to break. Come on. The fact that our family is lost and dying and going to hell. Come on, we're going to get a hold of God. It's Sunday morning. God, do it for your people. God, heal someone of cancer right now. God, deliver someone of heart disease. God, take away our fears. Come on, somebody, get a hold of God. We hope you enjoyed this message. Please reach out to us if you have any questions. We can be found at firstpent.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-E-N-T dot org. If you're ever in Pensacola, Florida, we hope you visit us. Be blessed in Jesus' name.